The Old Testament lesson comes from 1 Samuel chapter 1. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me, and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have not drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. The God of Israel grants the petition you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. Our gospel is from the gospel of Mark. Uh, and This is taking place in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus is with his disciples. So hear now and listen for how God is speaking to you through these words of the gospel of Mark. As Jesus came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. When he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us. When will this be, and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is still to come. For nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Here ends the lesson. Thanks be to God. The way that God works, the way that God is present in the world, the way that God begins something, 
God begins in these small, domestic, earthy, specific human places. Noah, just a man with a family. (coughs) Abram was a man with a wife and no children, a barren wife. Joseph, the one of the the famous multicolored cloak, was son number 11 and uh, was hated and teased and put upon by his older brothers. Moses was a murderer in exile, meets God in a burning bush uh, in the desert. And Ruth, who we read about last week, was this foreign woman, a Moabite, widow, daughter-in-law of Naomi, who was herself a widow, worked God's process. And we're coming close on Christmas when we will remember Mary, who was this poor, unmarried teenage girl that God chose. And Saul, who was on the road to persecute these new Christians, as an encounter. God works in these domestic, earthy, specific places, not not a a voice from the sky to millions or rattling of mountains to get the attention of nations. It comes in the midst of, of people's lives. And, and always, when God shows up, it's to deliver a message that is some variation of, I am about to do a new thing. And when I say I, I really mean you. You are about to do a new thing for me. You are about to do my will. I have chosen you to do this. Or I am going to work through you. And over and over and over again in the biblical narrative, we see that the the people, the, the quote, respectable people, the people of power, the people of wealth, the people of high station, the people who are at, at the top of their game, the people who are lauded by the community, uh, God often has little use for them in God's plan. Over and over and over again in the biblical narrative, God chooses the second and the third and the last class people to change the world. The people who are on the bottom, the people who are on the outside, the people who are the least, the people who don't have all the accolades and stature in their community. God chooses so often the least And you'd think that after 4,000 years, we'd get that message. That we would have embraced it. And so also with Hannah that we read in the Samuel story. Hers is a small story. A very small story. But it begins an incredible epic. It's the start of something extraordinary. And 1 Samuel is the first of six books that we have in the Old Testament that are the narrative history of the country of Israel, 
You have other books that are about the Hebrew people as God is calling them and bringing them into a people. But 1 Samuel is the beginning of six books that tell the history of that country being formed, of Israel being formed and then splitting into Israel and Judah and eventually being conquered by the surrounding nations. And this whole narrative of this country of Israel begins with the story of a second wife who is barren. A second wife who deeply suffers because she has no children and she is in a culture in which women were valued by their fertility. That's how Israel chose to remember and to tell their story, was to begin with this wife number two, who is barren. And Hannah so wants a son and even though her husband, Elkanah, is, is very good with her and very good about it, and he says, it doesn't matter to me that you don't have a son. I love you. He even gives her a double portion because he cares for her so much. But Hannah is suffering. She wants a son. And the other wife, Penina, is also teasing her and harassing her and making her life miserable because she doesn't have a son. And you know, women didn't have a whole lot of power in that day and age. There wasn't a whole lot of stature for women, but the woman who had a son certainly has power over the one who does not, has some prestige over the one that does not. Hannah wants a son. She wants to feel valued. She wants a place. She wants dignity. Wants an end to the shame. And so she goes to the sacred place at Shiloh and she pours out her heart to God in all of her grief and all of her pain. Please, God, just one son. That's all I ask. Just one son. And if you provide me with one, I will dedicate him to you as a Nazarite, as a holy man. That's an interesting bargain to say to God, if you give me what I want... I'll give it back. I will give it back to you. There's a stewardship message. And she prays this. And as she's praying it, the priest Eli sees her, is watching her. And she's praying, but she's not saying anything that can be heard. It's just her lips are moving. That's all Eli knows of her, is that here's just this woman whose lips are moving, but nothing's coming out. Uh, And so he assumes that she's drunk. And he goes to her and confronts her. But notice the one thing here that he doesn't do. He thinks that she's drunk and confronts her about that. But Eli has so much respect for the sacredness of that space that he does not ask her to leave. He doesn't tell her to get out. Even though he thinks she's drunk. She's still welcome. That's a good challenge to us about how we treat our sacred spaces or what we think of as sacred. Do we uh, put fences around what we think are sacred so as to keep the outsiders out uh, and keep them from defiling or making it impure? Or do we look at our sacred things and realizing that, that their very sacredness demands that we tear down the fence and share them, that we allow others access to that which is sacred, to make it available to all. If it is sacred, if something is sacred, 
It ought absolutely is to be shared, not to be hidden or hoarded or protected as though God needs us to defend it. Certainly we, uh, here at Plymouth, we're an open and affirming church, and we're a church, a congregation that has an open table. We don't keep people from the communion table. Anyone who wants to eat is free to eat. Anyone who wants to come and worship is free to come in and worship. This is God's house. We've said no fences to this place. God's house. It's not our house. It's God's house. Everyone's invited. Women can be in leadership Women can even be clergy. They're lesbian and gay and uh, bisexual brothers and sisters are included. The mentally ill, the mentally advanced, uh, rich and poor, the homeless and the home abundant, all welcome. Wherever you are on life's totem pole, this place belongs to you. We have decided to take those fences away. It's sacred. And so it ought to be shared, ought to be open. And so Eli respects that sacred nature of the place that he's in, respects it so much, and perhaps even respects the sacredness of this woman who is in front of her, respects her sacredness so much that instead of booting her out, he listens to her story. And she forces the story on him. He doesn't really ask He doesn't ask her for the story, but once she starts telling it, he listens. He listens to her story. And by listening, he finds compassion, and through that, he ends up offering her a blessing. Listening leads to blessing. And how much do we miss? Because we don't listen. How much do we miss? Especially by not... Listening to women. There's certainly been a lot of debate in the last few months, as there always is around an election, about who has the right to make health decisions for women. Uh, But it seems like often without consulting the women themselves about what they want, what they would like. Many who insist that the primary purpose of women still is to bear children as though that's all God wants of them. And how much do we miss by not including the voices of the poor in our conversations about the economy, or not listening to the voices of children as we make social policy or education decisions? Now, if we value something, if we understand the sacredness, we'll listen. And when we don't listen, we take some of that sacredness away, or at least we we are ignoring the sacred nature. And Eli the priest, maybe not a great listener, but he still listens. He listens. But even more importantly than Eli listening is that God listens. God hears Hannah's pleas and this prayer that she offers to God out of her suffering and out of her pain. God hears hears her lament and provides for her a son. And not just a son, but God provides for her Samuel, a very important son. 
You know, we read out of Ruth last week and heard the story of uh, Ruth, this Moabite woman, and her mother-in-law, Naomi, that these two women are the movers and shakers behind the creation of the line of David, who becomes Israel's second king and the father of a, a dynasty, a long line that even goes to Jesus. Here in 1 Samuel, we have the story of a woman, Hannah, who is the mover and shaker behind the creation of the kingdom that David will inherit. She gives birth to Samuel. And Samuel is one who becomes the prophet that guides these 12 tribes into a nation. Samuel is there. He is the one that helps them to form a nation. Samuel is the one who anoints Saul as the first king of Israel. And a few years later, it's Samuel uh, that is called out by God to go uh, out to Bethlehem to find the next king. And Samuel anoints David, this young boy, this uh, last brother of many, who is small and powerless and a shepherd boy, Samuel is the one who anoints David to be the next king, the second king. Out of Hannah's suffering, out of Hannah's suffering and her willingness to admit to it and to make it public, at least to make it public to God, comes the birth not just of a boy, but of an entire nation. Amen.